And boom, we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winner, and I'm here as always with the mighty Dr. Bear Paul Lando coming to you live and direct every Thursday at 10 a.m. from the beautiful Smith River in the great state of Jefferson where freedom still reigns supreme. Uh, a little frosty this morning. Uh, our town lost power for most of the night last night, so I was wondering if we would get to do this this morning, but here we are, and we've got the great Dan the Man winter today. This has been a long time coming. Very excited to have Dan on the show. We want to jump right into this and give him as much time as possible, Bear. So I'm going to go right into this illustrious bio, unless you have anything to update the community with. No, you need time for the bio. You know, when I was doing the newsletter, uh, you know, as you know, I try to paraphrase and cut down on the bio, but uh, there's just so much amazing background that Dan has. So I just cut and paste the whole thing. So uh, I'll let you speed read through that, but uh, Dan is uh, a remarkable individual, and we've been looking forward to having him for a long time. So get into it. Yes, Dan Winter's background is a multifaceted. It, it is as multifaceted as his viewpoints. Graduating with honors from the University of Detroit, Dan pursued graduate studies in uh, psychophysiology uh, and the origin of languages. In addition to his academic background, he has worked as a systems analyst with IBM, an industrial metallurgist. That's a tough one. And a crystallographer. He has undertaken many diverse studies from quantum physics to modeling at the MIT Space Lab to developing the early biofeedback prototype equipment. Widely traveled, Dan has sojourned to study at the Gurdjieff School of Sacred Gymnastics in Florence with Buckminster Fuller, the Giza Pyramids, Israel, the Andes, and at Finhorn. Dan is an accomplished keyboard artist and was once a church organist and choir director, all before reaching high school. He delights in playing computer keyboard music using sonic samples taken from biological events, heart sounds, whale and dolphin songs, etc. His creative side emerges as playfulness with ideas which can be shared at different levels. Through the years, Dan has lectured on the evolution of consciousness, sacred geometry, and coherent emotion at many national and international conferences. His theories in coherent emotion inspired the notable research at Millard Fillmore Hospital in Buffalo and, of course, the Heart Math Institute in California in the mid-90s. Results published by Dr. Glenn Rehm provided conclusive evidence supporting Dan's heart entrainment theories. The effect of coherent ordering of the heart harmonics during the feeling of compassion was measured replicably, affecting the braiding uh, slash the programming of DNA. Uh, the quote, Heartbeat Earth Project for Global Coherence is a dream which Dan believes can teach self-awareness using the internet as a tool. Through the use of biofeedback device uh, connected to a home computer, uh, the heartbeat at the moment of compassion registers a specific frequency signature that possesses very special properties. This frequency or wave can add uh, and multiply itself infinitely and non-destructively and can be experienced outside oneself. His experiments with humans sending love to trees have shown that the trees respond at a distance by entraining and aligning in phase to the heart capacitively at moments of peak emotion. This indeed tends to confirm that our choices to feel coherently may be our best leverage on fabricating ecosystems, perhaps ultimately surpassing the strength of bulldozers in shaping our world. As thousands of hearts are connected, a database records and displays heartbeats registering the signature for compassion via the internet. By focusing our collective intention through compassion around the planet, the evidence suggests many possibilities, such as atmospheric repair and stabilization. 
This concept demonstrates the collective power of how hearts entrained with the feeling of compassion can reshape our world, a truly empowering phenomenon and perhaps a turning point in our conscious evolution. Among his many projects, Dan is developing a new breakthrough theory on gravity. He believes recursive nesting and field geometries is what creates the implosion magnetic monopoly, uh, uh, wind centering and force we call gravity, and thus provides the clue on how to arrange magnetic long waves to repair gravity fabric and restore atmospheric retention. This also suggests how only love bends the light and therefore only love creates. The fractal attractor of the heart's electricity accompanying the learned and teachable skill of choosing compassion may indeed be the centering force which ultimately makes even starbirth self-referent and therefore self-aware. Currently, Dan is a consultant on multimedia and virtual reality computer animation projects and travels and lectures around the world. He has produced over 50 videotapes on numerous subjects. And of course, you can find all of his amazing videos on his YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Dan Winter Fractal Field, a plethora of information there. Dr. Berlando, a uh, long time coming on this one. Absolutely. Uh, Dan, we've been talking about you for a long time here and uh, so delighted to have you. And uh, anybody uh, who isn't familiar with Dan's work, if you do go to his YouTube channel, it is uh, definitely like a graduate school university curriculum. And uh, I chip away at it continuously and still can't get to the end of it. So uh, this is way too much fun, Mike. I don't know if uh, we're allowed to have this much fun, but uh, this is this can be awesome. You know, um, so that, Dan... I think that bio is over, thir over 30 years old, but you've reminded me that it might still be useful. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it still barely does justice to everything that you're involved with. Um, you know, if you're not familiar with our community, we are very solution-based and our audience is very savvy also, as far as a lot of concept that we entertain from the biological sciences to terrain theory to waveform mechanics. And, uh, you know, because I had my career more in the biological sciences and tried to explain what uh, I was thinking I was uh, experiencing within a waveform model. And then I fell into your work and, uh, you know, realized, boy, what I really should have uh, done from the start is gone into electrical engineering because you talk over my head a lot when it comes to explaining things from a different perspective, which is what I love. So uh, what I'd love to achieve today is that there's so much we could talk about. Obviously, we can't do it in a single uh, introductory video here. But if we could um, get some of these basic concepts out and then also maybe within a context of what the practical application would be. Uh, you know, that's kind of where we come from on this show. And uh, what I, for my own self, what I'd really love to get into is the whole heart-based coherence. You know, I got into incorporating heart math and and uh, a lot of things and then develops actually um, those concepts in my own way for the biological uh, sciences. So if we could get into that and would it, it really, I think, interest our audience and Mike and I, especially these days, is that heart-based coherence, how we can create a unified field and uh, let's just say, hit the next level of cultural evolution on this plane. So uh, if you wanna start there or, you know, this is an open discussion, so whatever you think is appropriate, uh, take it away and, and then we'll just interject a few questions here and there, if you don't mind. 
Well, I'm I'm delighted with your interest and grateful to your for your enthusiasm. Uh, and I do think at a pure wave function level, we we do have some answers. Specifically, when I taught the HeartMath Institute first how to take their first EKG and then how to spectrum analyze the EKG, and then I taught them the meaning of coherence, and they really didn't quite get it right. Although they do teach breathing at point one hertz, which is the Mayer wave, and that is a good start for sure. Uh, but when I discovered how heart coherence is measured, it is a second order power spectra called a sepstrum of the EKG, which in, it measures directly internal phase coherence. That peak goes up literally when you speak your truth or when you feel love. It's a very useful practical lie detector, for example, and it can be used to replace kinesiology muscle strength to, to test whether your body intelligence. That's heart, real heart coherence. And the website, realheartcoherence.com has the entire history and the update and the latest device, which spectrum analyzes two EKGs, for example, for Tantra training. And we, it was sold commercially to teach bank managers to uh, learn empathy with their clients, actually. In Australia, ANZ Bank actually bought that system. So, uh, but measuring full EKG is a little bit more expensive than measuring simply a heart rate variability, which is the breath. And you can get a lot with the less expensive. And that would be ithrive.com, I-T-H-R-V-E.com. And we have, there's all kinds of information there. But the short summary of the physics, what we learn is that when you do a harmonic analysis of the EKG, you get a harmonic series, which is octave-based only. You will not get a harmonic series, which is golden ratio-based, actually, from the EKG, uh, which indicates it is structural, the structure of the heart muscle. There's seven layers, and they're literally tetrahedral, which, and the tetracubic would account for the octave-based power spectrum of the EKG. The thing that's interesting is that the breath analysis and the heart rate musical fundamental when you feel compassion will move toward 0.618 Hertz instead of 1.0 Hertz. So the person that's stuck in their head, their heart rate will center around 61.0 and where their person feeling touchy feely, their heart rate will move to 0.618, literally a faster heart rate. So to the extent that people that are addicted to running and get a low heart rate, they have trouble empathically bonding with <laughs> those who have a higher heart rate. And that physics has directly to do with the scaling, which is the physics of empathy. That So it's a bit of a complicated story, but that actually becomes rich when we apply it to the brainwave, where we see the moment when people are psychokinetic, can see without their eyes, can lucid dream, and bilocate, and we've measured it, that the brainwaves then become a golden ratio cascade and an octave cascade, both from alpha to gamma. And that's all at flameinmind.com. And the new version can accelerometrically measure the infrasound of the EKG to the EEG directly. So you can see the low frequencies of the heart in training the brain. And when she said your heart's not connected to your head, you can check. <laughs> so anyway, that's a big discussion and we're happy to go into it in more detail. And we have some slides, but. So I, I think out of the blocks, the first step is people just uh, maybe getting a little bit more in touch uh, with their autonomic functions and making those more under conscious control. You know, back in the uh, a long time ago, I was working a lot with athletes and we just with the first versions of heart monitors, we'd train them. Uh, these are top level athletes, Olympiads and, and so forth. And I was training a lot back then, too. And the whole goal was to get people in peak performance, but to stay in parasympathetic 
So with the heart monitor, and, and we all of us had to slow down, you know, and it was very frustrating for type A athletes to just slow their training cycles down. But uh, within about a six months time, most of us were able to uh, not only uh, stay in a parasympathetic mode while we're in a very high level intensity training, but then uh, what we found also is we raised the ceiling. So if we were in a competition, then we could, uh, you know, we had a lot more room. We weren't hitting the wall as fast and we could put on the afterburners and have something uh, left. But I think the relevance of this conversation is uh, that was one of my earlier experiences where I was able to prove with myself and others that, yeah, it's absolutely possible to get in touch and in greater control of our autonomic reflexes. Now you're talking about the whole next level, which is what we want to get into today. Well, you know, related directly, I knew Irving Dardick fairly well when they wrote the work Making mm -hmm. Waves, where he proved in the Olympic uh, athletics that uh, athletes whose heart rate went from low to high and then back to low in a square wave, they regularly generated heart attacks directly and they killed themselves. And uh, <laughs> what he showed medically Wouldn't was that me. harmonic inclusiveness is a heart rate that gradually increases and decreases like a caduceus, which is called harmonic mm -hmm. inclusive, which is the whole basis then of, of athletic heart rate variability studies that if you do your athletic performance or your heart rate graph looks like a caduceus up and down, that's literally Olympic winning. That's Irving Dardic book making ways. And it's beautiful. And that harmonic inclusiveness is the fastest way to measure immune health. What he didn't know was that harmonic inclusiveness is perfected by golden ratio, actually, uh, which actually is fractality perfected. Even though Ari Goldberger at the time, and I knew him too, worked very usefully the healthy heart is a fractal heart, but didn't identify the geometry of an electrical fractal field, which is obviously related to golden ratio. And again, that's where brainwaves answer all of that, because, for example, in, in brainwave work now, we can train people to be what athletes call in the zone which basically is rear brain dominance. If you're front brain dominant, you're stuck in your head and your response time is horrible. <laughs> Whereas if your back brain is dominant and our four channel EEG, flameandmind.com is ideal for teaching rear brain dominance. But not only is where the, that where the bliss uh, wave shows up, golden ratio in the, in the back of the brain, you feel it, it's like the Kundalini rise, it's the serpent's mouth at the back amygdala, but that rear brain dominance identifies medically well-known what they call in the zone, which is fast response time. And it's obviously mediated back here, not up here. So there's, that's a beautiful conversation. But even deeper is the, the fractality, the harmonic inclusiveness, which identifies immune health, not just in your heart or in your brain, it identifies sustainability in every living thing. You can predict how long a galaxy or an atom is going to live, not just your heart, by measuring for harmonic inclusiveness. So we talk a lot about the heart and the brain uh, as separate units. And I've been involved with some spiritual teachings that I'm inclined towards that, you know, we always talk about the unifying the heart and uh, the mind and and having them operate as one unit. So how would you explain that more in uh, the electrophysics of it, we'll say? Well, you know, the what, that's what we're doing now. Uh, measuring the infrasound entrainment of the heart with the brain. So uh, it's not common to measure the, for example, 0.1 hertz infrasound in the brain. 
But if you can measure the low frequencies in your head, at the same time, it's cheap to measure the low frequencies in your heart, the infrasound, and then measure that entrainment. Not only do you have the physics of Kundalini <laughs> and how your heart hooks with your head, but it's it's how you embed the longer wave, which is literally, you know, how you conduct that lightning bolt. So I recommend at flameandmind.com, you look at the new heart brain infrasound entrainment measure. It takes a very specialized algorithm to get the 0.1 hertz harmonic out of the brainwave analysis. But when you do, you can measure that infrasound entrainment. And I worked with Bentoff for years who wrote the book on the biomechanics of Kundalini. And that is the beginning of Kundalini for sure. It's how the ventricle pump works. And what do you see on the average people that use technologies before they can get to a low-tech approach and, and not need the technologies anymore? Yeah, no, I, I agree. My lecture here is not saying you need a gadget. That's not my lecture, no. Well, I love gadgets, and I'm definitely <laughs> going to go after this technology immediately after the show, but just uh, that's just no, I'm not. I'm not, telling, I'm not telling anybody you need my gadget. If you would like to measure success, my gadget is helpful, but you don't need it to produce success, no. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you've got the kundalini rising when you get the tingles. <laughs> it's right that's there. Right. The body tells you. Yeah, and it was beautiful. I was in Bentos' lab. I used this, the capacitive accelerometer that he measured the heart-brain entrainment and actually produced the physics. Now we know exactly why your ears are ringing during Kundalini and Bliss. He measured the phase lock of the low frequency up the spine liquid pump, and then the phonon pump, which drives the ventricle. It's called the draining of the ventricles. And then I later took that chart of his harmonics measured of Kundal Kundalini meditators hearing ringing in their ears, and we did the analysis of the harmonics. It's all at goldenmean.info slash kundalini. We have the most advanced site on the biophysics of kundalini on the planet. And those ringing in the ear frequencies are literally golden ratio harmonic multiples of the infrasound of the spine liquid pump, which starts with the Mayer wave, 0.1 hertz. And that whole cascade is golden ratio times Planck and Schumann based for that reason. And that is phase conjugate charge implosion, and that is the origin of negentropy, which is the title of my book. Um, the on, on the heart side with the phase conjugate, um, you know, electrical process going on, there's a concept too that, and uh, Dr. Jerry, Jared Pollack talks about this with the, um, the fourth phase of water, uh, that there's actually a sort of plasma, um, it's not necessarily the heart pumping so much, but there's an electrical plasma um, uh, conductivity going on are have you looked deeper into how this gel kind of water plays into this process and also how this relates to the glandular system because i know like rudolf steiner talks about the the heart brain connection and how important the glandular system is uh in terms of that magic sauce if you will uh between the connection there well, the, the glandular mechanics is well documented in the sacrocranial literature, Upledger's Foundation in Florida, who proved that if your spine liquid is pumping, it is clinically impossible to be depressed. And that is the beginning of Kundalini. And that's well documented as the glandular infrasound. That's well known and all at goldenmean.info slash Kundalini. That's old news. And we even then can produce those infrasounds in binaural beats and trigger bliss re replicably, flameandmind.com. You go to our world's most powerful infrasound for bliss, the flame and sound there at flameandmind.com. Again, that's old news. What you mentioned about plasma, and it's not just Jerry Pollock, it's everyone that effectively 
Yes, the only reason to have bliss or kundalini is to make plasma. That's absolutely true. <laughs> and it starts with the fact that hydrogens, radii are golden ratio times Planck. That's the reason water exists and hydrogen exists. That's how hydrogen makes gravity. In fact, it's how gravity is made in general. That's centripetal force, golden ratio times Planck. And that's the book, Origin of Negentropy. So you take those frequencies and then you see what drives the growing of the aura, which is the plasma, absolutely. And that's what you take with you when you die, absolutely. And it's so beautiful now that we can teach people to lucid dream by measurement, by making those frequencies, because we know exactly that if you can lucid dream, you will survive death. And we can explain the physics in detail. You're propagating into a larger longitudinal array. Exactly what is necessary to survive death is taught when you accomplish lucid dreaming. And we know exactly what that is. For example, therify.net triggers lucid dreaming. We know exactly why. And if you take those frequencies, that infrasound from therify or plasma, same as the frequencies in brainwaves, which identify lucid dreaming and Jean-Charles Moyen ability to bilocate. We measured it. We know what it is. We know how it works. That's old news. The information is that the reason that harmonic series allows you to lucid dream and therefore survive death is because it makes the aura centripetal enough to then propagate coherently in the longitudinal array, sometimes called scalar, which is actually sometimes called the... Uh, collective unconscious. That's why when you teach kids to make those those frequencies, they, their parents get a little shocked. Not only are they seeing without their eyes, they're regularly talking to their ancestors. <laughs> I think it's so cool. So um, the technology can also uh, help people achieve lucid dreaming uh, in more of a quantifiable way. And, Absolutely. You know, yeah. A long time ago, I started with uh, Carlos Castaneda, you know, envisioning my hands in dreams. Then that morphed into the Silva, you know, lucid dreaming techniques, and they worked wonderfully. And and I think anybody can have that experience if they just practice it long enough. But uh, that that's uh, fantastic. You know, a little note uh, about Upledger and folks. I I knew them personally, and I studied with them. You know, back back when, and a lot of the work that we've done in the past is. Um, looking at blood under the microscope and then doing osteopathic uh, entrainment, you know, through the cranial sacral mechanism. And then also through the viscera, you know, John uh, Pierre Borel, you know, over in France too, uh, demonstrated how you can, with the coaching, the movement of the organs and not just the cranial sacral, that you could great, uh, greatly achieve more efficient movement of the cerebral spinal fluid. And we saw remarkable things happening on the screen in people's blood when you did that, you know, just things clearing up on the spot and everything. So, uh, yeah, this is a great interest of me. And um, so could you help me understand a little bit? Uh, I have a little uh, different vocabulary than yours. So when you talk about centripetal, you know, I'm thinking of waveform mechanics where we're talking about a compaction, compression cycle of right. data, you know, reaching a more... Uh, dense state, we'll, we'll say, you know, that we would maybe think of as uh, materialistic uh, precipitation. And then at the same time, the radiation cycle, uh, throwing it back, you know, into a troidal simultaneous affair there. So how would you explain that uh, from your perspective? Well, the reason physics doesn't know why objects fall to the ground is the same mm -hmm. reason they don't know what consciousness is or negentropy or life. 
because physics does not know why anything is centripetal. And that is the tragedy of our age, for sure. Because if we did, then we could know the origin of consciousness, life, and gravity. Uh, and the reason anything is centripetal is called Planck fire, P-H-I-R-E. And uh, that is golden ratio exponents of Planck, which is Schumann harmonics, brainwave harmonics, hydrogen harmonics. And it is the dominant geometry of all orbital mechanics which is how you stabilize gravity and therefore atmosphere. So it is the origin of negentropy. And that basically is non-destructive compression. You know, charge collapse was clearly identified by Einstein and most of physics as the cause of gravity. Of course, they didn't have a clue of the cause of char charge collapse. And then almost every leading physicist today studying consciousness has agreed the cause is charge collapse. But again, they have no clue of the cause of charge collapse. And I have answered that question. What's the cause? Uh, may I share my screen? Yes. And the Planck, is that named after Max Planck? Uh, Planck length and Planck time. Uh -huh. See, if you take Planck length and Planck time and, and multiply by Golden ratio, you get this kind of geometry. And that happens to be the structure of hydrogen, DNA, earth grid, zodiac, every living protein, and everything negentropic. Oh, I don't want to go into Tesla's mistakes. I'm sorry. <laughs> so we're talking about geometry here. <laughs> Yeah, so if you take Planck length or time, multiply by golden ratio, you get three exact radii of hydrogen, ADP, ATP, the most important molecule in the body. You get the exact only two precise wavelengths of photosynthesis. You get the definition of sacred dimension, the British foot. You get the Schumann harmonics and brainwave harmonics and the heart harmonics. You get the most important frequency in the blood and the breath called Mayer wave, 0.1 hertz. You get the Venus year, Earth year, galactic year, processional year. You get the geometry of everything that is negentropic. And that is the cause of charge collapse. So if you take those frequencies, for example, that's how we built Therafine. And that's what, this is what it looks like. Here's Planck in the red circle. And here's golden ratio multiples of Planck. So that's, for example, why this pyramid geometry, all based on 76 degrees base or peak Egypt versus. When you say negentropic, you mean not. Right, like the opposite of what the quote unquote mainstream science says in terms of everything. Well, mainstream science says that the universe is, con is condemned to entropy. Yes. And that is the most stupid, fatalistic idea there is. <laughs> and that's in your ch children should not listen to that propaganda. There so the foundational laws of thermodynamics are completely out of whack, as we always well, have said. <laughs> the, universe, the universe geometry is specifically producing negentropy, and that's why the universe exists, is that self-organization tendency. So this is what happens. This is a, a, a plot of the radii of hydrogen, for example. The transverse wave enters on the left, and the caduceus compresses, implodes, and the diameter of the nozzle of the squirt gun is Planck, and that produces this longitudinal wave which we know is the only physics of gravity, for example, and all action at a distance. So that's called longitudinal interferometry. So that's the cause of charge collapse and therefore cause of gravity, consciousness, and life force. And, you know, uh, Wigner and Newman agreed consciousness causes wave function collapse. Penrose and Stewart says wave function collapse causes consciousness. Uh, and Einstein says wave collapse, perfect wave collapse is the solution of the unified field, but not one of them had a clue to the cause of wave collapse. So once we identify the geometry of charge collapse, we answer the important question, which is basically uh, the way out of chaos. And this is, there's some gravity physics here, but basically this is Wigner and von Neumann say, saying wave function collapse is consciousness, Penrose and Hameroff, same way. 
So once you understand wave collapse, you can understand the origin of all centripetal and negentropic forces. And there's a lot of literature on this. This is what it looks like. It's recursive turning inside out. And that produces the charge implosion, which causes, for example, we know exactly what consciousness is. It's a plasma vortex donut inside your head, which is why when kids see without their eyes, first the tube appears. And we know exactly how that works when you leave your body for remote viewing, for example, and how you could take that with you at death if you understood the physics is helpful. And that's a turning inside out process, perfect collapse. And the reason that even John Dee used that scintillation, the moment of the compression point at the center of the turning inside out is because that's the phase conjugate point. And that's where you get the radio to ancestor memory. So the, wow. originally Tiller, Tiller showed consciousness causes compression, but he had no clue of the cause of that compression. So this is uh, just three more slides here, maybe that the, the moment when uh, Jean-Charles Moyen did bilocation with many witnesses. This is the brainwave power spectra. It's uh, in pink is the octave harmonics and in blue is the golden ratio harmonics from alpha to gamma. Interestingly, when kids see without their eyes, it's exact same cascade. However, uh, much lower amplitude coherence. So John Charles Moyen was off the charts for amplitude coherence, which is why he was literally turning inside out when he actually bilocated. And what happens is you embed in the longitudinal array and that's the, so the, the real physics in, in my case, for example, I can make five harmonics in golden ratio, but I don't reach gamma. I have great bliss, but my clairvoyance is somewhat limited for that reason. Interestingly, the telepath produces octave harmonics in their brainwave, that's the difference. And this is the original literature from uh, Lexicor that the golden ratio harmonics are at the top crown center, whereas the octave harmonics are dissociated and they're actually at the sides, at the at the ears, basically. And I think we have here, I don't have a slide here. I should have the slide here, I apologize, where we actually measure the, uh, the infrasound of the heart and training the brain. I didn't get that slide finished here. So this is from the original literature where we published the, the origin of heart coherence is that turning inside out. And this is what I taught HeartMath Institute how to do originally, do the simple power spectrum of the EKG. And this is how we apply that vortex to the, uh, the infrasound of sacrocranial, that here are the sacrocranial harmonics, here's the breath harmonics, here's the Schumann harmonics, and you see they all fit in my equation. And this actually is the sacrocranial. So look at every wavelength in green is the sacrocranial here, and this is the mayor wave here, it should be labeled the 0.90959. So the in green, you have the perfected sacrocranial harmonics of bliss, and in red, you have my equation. So this is the infrasound of the spine liquid, the sacrocranial working basically. And this is the relationship to the Schumann. Okay, I'm gonna stop the screen here. So I, I covered a lot there. Maybe there's questions. Bear, <laughs> you could start, I've got a few. <laughs> okay, just a couple. <laughs> Um, hang on. Let me get my, oh, there we, there we are. Lost my screen for a second. So Dan, um, just to simplify, uh, how do we break it down to individual consciousness within these waveform configurations? Uh, one of the things I would do with every client is, uh, a measurement of what I would perceive as a toroidal field. And uh, we did that with radius seizure, with lecker antennas, things like that, where we could 
uh, discern if there's equal centripetal centrifugal exchange, then we'd also look at the east-west polarities, you know, if, if, if there's distortions, then you could actually flatline, and that's where uh, health and behavioral disturbances became more prominent. So in your languaging, and also just uh, down to practical application, how does that all fit in uh, first on more of a technical level that you're explaining or if or if what I'm saying is way off from your you know perspective and uh, how that would also be incorporated into an individual getting a hold of these uh, fields to make them coherent from the top down? Well, yeah, again, sense? we're not saying you must buy a gadget. That's not our message. Uh, oh, but no, it is no, not at all saying that. Yeah. But, but it is true that if you learn, for example, the 0.1 hertz breath, which is basically five seconds in, five seconds out, mm -hmm. you've made the 0.1 hertz Mayer wave, which is beautiful. And that's all HeartMath Institute defines as heart coherence. But it is a start. And so the, the spine liquid pump begins with breath coherence. And obviously, mm -hmm. the non-destructive self-reentry means is that you're attending to the feeling inside. And eventually in Kundalini, that turns into a lightning bolt. Now, it's very interesting that uh, the design of bliss experience is functionally only about charge compression. If you can't compress charge, you ain't getting there to bliss. No way. And the interesting thing is, uh, if you understood a little bit about the physics, you'd realize, for example, how important the space you're in. That is, if you're in an aluminum metal box with bad air and electrosmog, forget it. Even if you got to bliss, you'd be sucking in so much implosion, so much poison by that implosion that you wouldn't want to stay in bliss. <laughs> and ancestor memory, by the way, doesn't get to you there. No. <laughs> so people who want to be in touch with the divine should learn a little bit about the electrical engineering. The electrical engineering is the magnetic lines produce the context of the compression you need. Telepathy has only been measured where magnetic lines cross, the same place cathedrals and labyrinths work. And if you want to do healing at a distance with Theravite plasma, the same thing applies if you want to set up a labyrinth, a cathedral, or a cozy of mirror. So you need a little bit of dousing skill, actually. And you need fresh air, and you need... Basically, and the first thing that happens that after you get the first little bit of bliss like after Kundalini for me, I cried for what, six months or something. <laughs> and, and the reason you're crying is because every non-shareable memory must be released. Actually, oh, everything boy. that even, even any, everything that even smells like anger, for example, and ain't going to make it through death or compression. No. <laughs> so the first thing that happens after bliss is every unshareable thought. And eventually you need to learn to think in only pure principle. And that will then mean every single thought is of service to the entire gene pool. And that's yeah, a shareable. Wow. There's so much there, Dan, and what you just said. <laughs> I'm trying to unpack some of it. So you mentioned the this idea of the array and uh, longitudinal waves. Absolutely. That array, now that requires, is that related to the ley lines of the actual 
realm Absolutely. we're in, correct? Yes. That is setting up the electrical array and these longitudinal waves. These are sort of like, I guess, scalar waves, if you will. Well, the scalar is the wrong word, but it's commonly used. The, the, the longitudinal is the compressional part of the electromagnetic wave. And physics doesn't know how to use that. That's why they don't know what a gravity wave is, for example. Or they don't know how action at a distance works, precisely because they don't know how longitudinal interferometry works. That's was Einstein's confusion, actually. But the compressional part of the wave, called longitudinal or scalar, only then exchanges inertia with the heat-containing transverse at the compression points at a distance, which is a fractal array, why the Earth grid is dodecahedra, and only at the nodes do you get telepathy, and at those nodes you get reduced nuclear critical mass, and we know exactly why. And so those compression nodes allow DNA radio to work. You want to phone your ancestors? It's been measured. You need to find that spot. So those compressional nodes that's the larger array. That's what's called songline dreaming track ancestor memory, or sometimes called heaven, Plains of Sharon, or Champs-Élysées. It's actually a fractal field. The thing is, you inhabit an array now. It's called your synapses. You want to inhabit a bigger array and take memory through death? You need to learn something about that longitudinal array, definitely. Yeah, and I think a lot of times when we visualize waves, we visualize them kind of how we see on a screen, a 3D screen, but really they're fractal, they're moving in a vortex, they are much more than just an up and down wave, correct? So that's something very well, important. That Remember that caduceus down the vortex, which is called four-wave mixing in physics, that's the physics of phase conjugation, in ancestor language it was called the sacred four directions. So, but that ability to compress symmetrically allows the longitudinal component to exchange inertia with transverse only at the compression node. For example, how you could contain uh, heat and make fusion energy possible is longitudinal interferometry. Anything else is stupidity. So that ability to contain heat compression at a distance depending, depends on understanding longitudinal interferometry the same way that understanding ancestor memory requires that. And I know there are so, um, there are cultures that understood this and have used this for um, this technology to actually communicate. Oh yeah, and, and that's what that's what our LucidDreamTeam.com group is doing right now. Absolutely, and they were trained with the Aboriginals. So I work in decentralized technology, and I'm on a team building a fully new decentralized um, uh, a sort of a, a new World Wide Web. Uh, where it's all peer-to-peer. -peer. And one of the pinch points we have right now, of course, is to access the network, you have to use an internet service provider. And so we are trying to come up with new ways that we can send zeros and ones across the through, whether we call that the ether or through scalar. And so I'm interested in any ideas you may have to try to go back to the analog, if you will, but but using this uh, new digital technology in a way to allow us to connect as a means towards go becoming psychic in the end. I know that is the end, what we're all looking towards is getting back to the original technology, but just curious, have you heard of any other ways besides the traditional, you know, cables under the ocean or uh, <laughs> to uh, transfer <laughs> zeros and ones? Uh, well, actually transferring zeros and ones is, is, is the stone ages. It's a great way to get interested, but yeah. the stone ages gets boring really quick. Uh, <laughs> DNA radio works the same way. The biggest stargate in our galaxy, it's the trapezium in Orion and the good guys just took it from the neighbor, but it's good news. And it's just, it literally a, a cube. And that's where the Kaaba comes from. And so that 
the physics of portal Stargate is at the compression node, when you replicate the frequency signature, the send point and the receive point, you create nodal interferometry. And that obviously is the way DNA communicates. That's the physics of all telepathy. And it, it's really, everything else is pretty boring. I mean, yeah, maybe you want to send ones and zeros for a while, but it means you're a kindergartner for some concern. So study longitudinal interferometry and learn to get out of kindergarten. That's my advice. So along that, that line, how would we relate this to distance healing? Um, Absolutely. You know, obviously, now uh, yeah. So, we, yeah, the two so weeks we're ago, eliminating right? time and space. Uh, go ahead, please. Well, time is only a name for relative rotation rate, nothing else. Mm -hmm. And eliminating mm -hmm. space is a crude term for connectivity. And the solution to that connectivity is the fractal array of longitudinal interferometry. So two weeks ago, fractalu.com, the course was the physics of remote healing, which dozens of people are doing successfully. And it's absolutely no mystery. It's teachable. So you have phase conjugate plasma, therify.net or quantify. And then they they put a, a psychotronic witness, a accurate high-res photograph. But if sender and receiver are on a magnetic cross point, it is enabled. If it's done at sunrise or sunset, like Agnihotra, it's enabled. That's called four-wave mixing. In physics, they say action at a distance at a distance starts with entanglement. Of course, they don't have a clue that entanglement perfected is the problem phase conjugation solves, which produces longitudinal interferometry. <laughs> so studying action at a distance is useful, but go past conventional physics because they're in kindergarten. But no, that's so, why it's so helpful to teach remote healers the physics. And it is about physics. It's a longitudinal compression node that establishes the connection. Can I ask sure. one, one thing? Um, we all have the power to do this, right? This Absolutely. isn't this isn't a quote unquote genetic mutant thing like the X-Men or certain. I mean, I know some people come in with more skill set right out of the gate and others than others, but we can all work. Um, you know, I know we're not all Michael Jordans here, right? So some have that the higher skill than others, but Dan, we all have the ability to work towards this. And what I've noticed through the work I've done through dream journaling and lucid dreaming and even going out of body and working on getting those, like I said, those tingles, those vibrations and going with it, um, it tends to, as you focus on it more, not only do you have more in your, in your daily life, a lot more synchronicities and interesting things happening, but you seem to um, increase your skills as long as you stay sober and you stay focused on it. So just a question to the community here looking to start to delve into this. What are a couple ABCs towards generating the skill sets to start um, uh, you know, building your ability to lucid dream and, and actually tap into these, these amazing harmonics, if you will? Well, you know, Dr. Barr mentioned something useful. When you look at your hand in a dream, the reason it enables lucid dream is that tightens the do loop of the homunculus initiating compression. That's the reason mm. it enables lucid dreaming. And that will show up in the alpha coherence. So it's essentially the discovery of focus, literally, that impedance connects you to the longitudinal array, the larger array. So Dan, in the practice of biogeometry, uh, which I am intensely involved with we distinguish between vertical and um, horizontal waves horizontal waves recognized as being more conducive to 
biological coherence, uh, emotional coherence, and so forth. And then vertical waves maybe having a tendency to be more noxious. And and what what I like just last comment is that you you are using a sophisticated dowsing technology that allows you to attune. That's true. You know, with that level of consciousness at the same time. And uh, also, uh, like right here behind me, I'm treating somebody right now at a distance with the geometry of, of their being, uh, along with some other things, and projecting that through time and space. So how does that fit in uh, relative to your explanation of uh, uh, longitudinal waves? Yeah, I think the biogeometry people don't know what a capacitor is. And the vertical versus horizontal is a child's name for transverse versus longitudinal, I think. Uh, okay. But generally, a lot of those intuitions, I'm sure, are useful. And it's true if you call the longitudinal component uh, horizontal. But to an electrical engineer, that language means not a thing. Whereas the term longitudinal versus transverse means everything to an electrical engineer. So if you want a precise language, use electrical engineering. And what Kareem yeah. calls, uh, you know, seed triggering is actually capacitive coupling. But I don't think he knows what a capacitor is. Hmm. Okay. That's we we trigger seed germination all the time. And Therify.net is very good for that, which is basically the seed will germinate better if the electric field is centripetal, it's very simple, which is why most have concluded the main reason Stonehenge and pyramids was originally built was to cause seeds to germinate. <laughs> and Therify.net mm -hmm. works excellently for that. So the seed is going to grow if it can suck its first nutrient. So the electric field of centripetal force is the key. And if you want to call it biogeometry, that's okay. But if you don't know what a capacitor is, it's not a very shareable language. And with so the seeds how do you explain this? Sorry, Mike, just one one yeah, more yeah. quick point. Uh, sure. How would you explain the centrifugal motion in reverse? Um, the field is never sustainably centrifugal unless it is first centripetal. So, for example, a rose will not unpack unless it's first done excellent packing. Mm -hmm. So you will never mm -hmm. have the radiance of bliss without implosion first. So the centripetal forces always come first. So I, and so centrifugal is just unwinding at the centripetal. That's right. Yeah. Which is charge radiance. It's very important. And thinking of electronegative versus electropositive is relevant in that sense. We think the reason every biologic protein on this planet, helicity and antiomorphism goes one way only. No one has answered that question before, but it is because one polarity of lightning was more centripetal than the other. And the centrifugal polarity of lightning is going to blow the damn uh, primal soup apart. So you needed the centripetal one. So in terms of like zero point, right? This um, this idea, I always kind of thought that it was the wind unwind. It kind of like um, spring unspring, spring unspring. But what you're saying is it just keeps it can just keep winding. Well, no, I mean. You know, Einstein said infinite non-destructive compression, but and he should have said infinite, but actually the climax point is Planck. Planck is the dimension at which the transverse is translated into longitudinal, which is the cause of gravity and all centripetal forces. Because at the Planck threshold, the universe has agreed on charge distribution. Planck, excuse me, Planck is the same for a million light years in all direction. Why? It's called the shareablewave.com. So that is the threshold at which transverse becomes longitudinal, which 
Tom Bearden clearly proved is the only physics of gravity waves. And he called it gravitobiology <laughs> precisely because that centripetal force enables growth, literally germination. So back to the seeds, where does magnetics play into this? Because I've been playing around with magnets too and finding good results. Yeah, and magnetic phase conjugation is beautiful. Remember, what you're calling electric versus magnetic is the perpendicular relationship of the same flux on the surface of a torus. So the flux in this direction you call magnetic, the flux in this direction you call electrical. It's the same flux. That perpendicularity means that it's a unified field. The important point is I, in, well, I, I'm not bragging, but I invented phase conjugate magnetics. Elizabeth Rauscher confirmed that because I showed the frequencies she used to heal are exactly golden ratio to Planck in magnetic power spectra. And by the way, that's what behind the bifilar Tesla coil of therify.net. It's low frequency magnetics, which are implosive. And implosive magnetics are super powerful. It's the basis of the imploder.com, for example. So can we apply this to, towards uh, new free energy sort of uh, mechanisms? I mean, we have a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of people on homesteads here that are tired of using solar, Bear being one of them, uh, and especially the battery thing with, you know, obviously stripping the earth of resources for this, you know, this this is supposed to be the the revolution moving forward is the batteries, which is, it seems Stone Age to us as well. And so- It's absolutely Stone Age. Absolutely. We've been looking, I've been personally looking more into water, using water as battery and using water, you know, and of course, Schauberger uh, implosion yes. uh, technology. Um, but just your thoughts on that, some mechanisms to start using this towards generating, um, you know, free energy. It's it's all about implosion. My, my first suggestion might be stop calling it free. Uh, sure. But Schauberger's grandson was with us recently in Amsterdam. And it's true. The reason Schauberger's vortex made voltage from gravity, it's piezoelectric doped, was that the angle allowed implosion. It was a 76 degree angle, uh, which that non-symmetric compression from one side only spits out the coherent longitudinal in the opposite direction, a directional coherent longitudinal, sometimes called gravity. Actually, that's why he made gravity and made voltage from gravity. And if you do that in a mercury vortex, that's called the Nazi bell. But if you don't know why that makes gravity, then you're an idiot. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, but zero, all zero point energy is based on that principle. How do you yeah, do with the radiation it. there? Because I guess with the Nazi bell, they had serious issues with the radiation that was generated. Yeah, it was a, they doped the mercury with a wetting agent, which allowed iron powder to be soluble. And that's why it was red. And uh, so they had both magnetic implosion in the flux density enabled by the soluble iron powder, along with the uh, hydraulic inertia of the mass of the mercury. And that was used by the Nazi dark fleet for decades after after World War II, you know, and that's how they turned submarines into StarCraft, absolutely. And they at least knew why a vortex made gravity. And so they they made it out of kindergarten, actually. That was a good thing. Wow, that really makes me think when you say red, it makes me think of the red lion and, and getting to alchemy and transmutation. And well, they, it, was, it was called the red lion because the iron content, when the Tibetan would shrink, they were actually conserving charge plasma in a shrinking implosive process, which actually is, is the physics of successful death. And that was a very energy efficient successful death. For example, the reason rainbows replicably occur when Tibetan saints die is they have contributed a centripetal charge to the ambient uh, environment, 
which is the physics of the cause of rainbows, actually. So I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, good segue into maybe uh, uh, just a cursory explanation on what the old school would call the ethers and how precipitation happens through the ethers. How would you uh, fit that within your own schematic? No, ether is a reasonably good name for the superfluid called charge, which propagates, which is the physics of the unified field. 99.99% of the universe is known to be plasma, which is a cloud of charge. When you compress that charge, then it stores the inertia called mass. And the rotation is what enables that inertia to be stored. And you measure the relative rate of, rate of rotation, and it's the only definition of time. So basically, storing rotation is the origin of both mass and time. And so fractality in time is a name for the fact that a local rotation can be embedded with a distant one, and that's where phase conjugation connects the longitudinal, which is the wormhole. And that's what conventional physics calls an Einstein-Rosen bridge connected by entanglement. They don't know that entanglement perfected is called phase conjugation. So one more point, going back to the fourth phase of water, George Wiseman and his Brown's gas machine, they're talking about uh, Brown's gas being the plasma state of water. They're yes. also finding that whatever the electrodes are made out of, that plasma state duplicates in exact composition and weight as the electrodes. So obviously it's precipitating matter, but it doesn't take anything away from the electrode at the same time. So again, going back to your schematic, um, what's happening there? Well, that's a very useful insight. For example, uh, Tesla started with a carbon arc and the geometry of carbon and monatomic is a fullerene, which is a dodeca-ecosa. It is literally this. And that's why mm -hmm. Tesla's carbon arc worked, because the fullerene compound. And that's how you stabilize monatomic gold in the arc of the Ark of the Covenant, for example, that specific geometry of arc. And the plasma created, I was with Joe Sell in Australia many times, and that plasma is alive and self-aware, looks like a worm, and can go where it wants to and has a consciousness, absolutely. That's what living plasma is. Living plasma is a recursive, implosive donut for sure. And living plasma is your only way through death, absolutely. <laughs> so it is good to study that, that's for sure. And doing it with uh, water is very instructive. You know, I work with uh, Kansius and we know the frequency signature Kansius used, you know, the cold glass of water that's burning beautifully. And it was an RF, but that RF frequency I predicted by equation, Golden ratio times Planck, and few people knew that had to be longitudinal RF, actually. And the Mayer wave, the the, uh, the Mayer device was based on 10,000 hertz, which is happens to be golden ratio times Planck. Hello, do we know how to do hydrolysis now? Absolutely. <laughs> so is that what the transhumanists are trying to replicate with the carbon nanotube stuff? Um, they're trying well, to like create like a technological version of what already exists there, kind of a simulacrum of it. Transhumanism is based on the stupidity of not knowing the electrical engineering of what a soul is. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the black goo, uh, uh, you know, the, the whole carbon nano thing is, is um, it's a long story, but it was used by the ancients as a, as a, the black cube, which is what the Kaaba stone was, and it was infected. And the Draco used that. It's a good thing they got kicked out of here. Uh, but the the beauty of the fullerene, and you can rotate fullerenes and make gravity and zero-point energy all day. It's wonderful. Uh, and even uh, Keshe got some of that right. Of course, he didn't have a clue of phase conjugation. But 
uh, wrongly used, it is a wave mechanic for control by the Borg. And that artificial intelligence, AI, is the scourge of the galaxy. And the reason is because no one studied the electrical engineering, what a soul is. When you know the electrical engineering, what a soul is, then you can finally define whether you're falling into AI or not. Until you know what a soul is, you don't have a clue to how to resist the AI. It's that simple. And by the way, yeah, that... you will never have a ghost in a machine. It ain't going to happen. Because the metal in that machine will prevent the plasma from being alive. The same way you can't phone an ancestor if you're in a metal box. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Agreed. Um, so you mentioned monatomic gold. Could you elaborate just a second on that and maybe also what its usefulness might be? We have a hundred articles, goldenmean.info slash gold powder. Uh, basically, uh, the, the gold atom is fundamentally fractal. The noble gases and the, the platinum group metals are a completion of the SPDF subshell, which looks like this in every case, which means perfect phase conjugators. So, you know, nanopowder gold uh, of organic sources is a beautiful thing. Agricultural armies is fabulous. But if you take a little David Hudson's chemically created stuff, it's going to burn the hell out of holes in your aura, actually. <laughs> and the difference is the context of embeddability, obviously. So uh, organically sourced gold powder amulets is a beautiful study. It's a beautiful study. The reason the mana exists in the Bible was because the ark of the ark of the ark <laughs> was a phase conjugator enabling stable. And then they baked it and they burned off the sulfur. And then it was edible gold, which is a long tradition in, in China. And actually, it's true at that point, the access to that gold powder is why the Anunnaki made the first human slaves. <laughs> so it's an important history, history list. Uh, and we basically, have a it's a metaphor of perfect symmetry, implosive symmetry, which is perfect connect connectivity. We have a very pristine water source here. So I run that through a magnetic device and it collects magnetic concentrator. And then yes. Yes. It out. So would you consider that a good way to get uh, collect organic armas? Absolutely. Very useful for sure. And the conjugate mm -hmm. point of that magnetic array can become broad spectral and you'll get much better concentrations. Absolutely. And if the source of that seawater is deep and pure, you get the most magical, uh, you know, organic uh, gold powder ormies. And that's the basis of our... Uh, Bloom the Desert project, fractalfield.com slash bloom the desert. Mm -hmm. So we took agricultural ormies, Japanese effective micro microorganisms, and the imploder.com, and we proved we could turn the desert into a, you know, into a paradise, actually. And we measured the reduction in salinity as well. So would a freshwater source be as effective as a saltwater source? Classically, no, because the uh, uh, soluble mineral content is much lower. Uh, the deep seawater. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, there's the, the Kesjan water. There's a lot of names for that kind of what that deep sea water is the best uh, mm -hmm. source. There's some places in Australia that are doing great jobs on that too, but agricultural armies. And there's obviously a very high, much higher content in the deep ocean pressures of the Ormies emulet. And the, the aloe vera uh, derivatives were re related. Oh, yeah. I was uh, in with the original group that started uh, recovering Ormus from uh, Al What did they call themselves? Manatech. Uh, well, anyway, Manatech. 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 <laughs> yeah. 
I was one of the that, original that doctors was, in their field testing with that. That was a beautiful study. That was useful, useful stuff. And essentially, they're learning to phase conjugate molecularly. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have to run a lot of water through my little gadget there in order to get just some milky drips coming through. So it's uh, pretty uh, time involved and, and not that efficient, but you do get it. So but if you uh, take, complete, take really go ahead. really mineral rich deep seawater and then use a strong caustic alkaline, you will get that milky precipitate rather quickly. Ah, oh, wonderful! Good, good, good. Mike, uh, did you have another question well, there? Uh, so the phase conjugation—that's essentially the mechanism for transmutation. If I'm understanding this correctly. There's lots of words, you know, charge collapse, phase conjugation, fractal field, implosion. Uh, these are all names for the same thing, which is why anything is centripetal. And that is the origin of consciousness and gravity. And so uh, the, when negentropy self-organization was first measured in phase conjugate optics, that was a turning point because now we realize you can phase conjugate magnetically, you know, you can phase conjugate interstellar waves, the trapezium and Orion, you can make stargates. <laughs> it's all about conjugating. And the conjugation means the adding and multiplying recursively, non-destructive compression, which converts compression into acceleration of charge towards center, named the gravity. And that centripetal force is therefore, at that center of implosion, it is self-sorted. Because every wave of charge that goes through that center cannot make it through without being sorted into phase. That's the reason if you have bliss, you will have no problem with parasites, astral or intestinal. So that's mm -hmm. how the Nazarene changed the water to wine, essentially. Actually, Sam Lentine famously in psychotronics uh, was born without eye sockets from birth, and he could visualize an equation more clearly than anybody on the planet. And he focused that equation on water, and they measured alcohol, actually. And he, that, that was a sequence of isotope transitions that's teachable. Oh, that's that's phenomenal. Um, yeah, there's so... <laughs> Go ahead, Bear. Uh, yeah. No, no, I know we're going all over the place, but, uh, you know, that's just uh, the nature of this business here. Um, you mentioned Gurdjieff in your background, and uh, I am a big fan of Gurdjieff as well and adapted the Enneagram work in my work and, you know, but more from a mathematical context rather than some of the other, um, I don't know, more superficial forms that people teach. So how would, uh, could you put that into context uh, as far as first starting with the Gurdjieff movements and then how that could be adapted to a, a schematic for uh, emotional fixations that we would think of in terms of the Enneagram and what the physics behind that would be? Yes, I, I started my career to some extent at the uh, claymont.org and learned the Gurdjieff sacred gymnastic and had my first Gurdjieff. Uh, kundalini experiences. And Gurdjieff had many insights, it's true. For example, don't start the sacred gymnastic until you can put enough density of attention in your baby finger to cause it to tingle. We now know the mm -hmm. physics. That is charge compression, actually. And then as you can move, the centripetal force of that attention will increase. Eventually, it will feel like a vice-like grip. Now, the, the concept of the Enneagram was uh, is really a good introduction to plasma physics at Los Alamos, it was Tony Peratt and my friend John McGovern who discovered that nine plasma donuts, one above the other, are the primal self-organization physics of all plasma domains, including why you have nine chakras <laughs> called 
the return of the nine and deep space nine. <laughs> so it's about the plasma symmetry and nine toroidal donuts and then the return of the nine, which is actually Anki and Ganymede outside of um, Elena Danan, whom I work with. Uh, they call them nine, the nine also, and that's where uh, Star mm -hmm. Star Trek got that. Uh, so it is about self-organization in plasma. The article on that is goldenmean.info slash whale dreamers. You'll see all those physics. That's why the Sri Yantra is actually nine golden ratio tetrahedra, shadow nested, because that's the nesting embedding that enables plasma radiance to become self-organizing. And it was the physics of nine. And it's really, Los Alamos is deep into that right now. Wow. Yeah, I know Aspensky, who hung out with Gurdjieff, uh, claimed that he's uh, biolocated and had some pretty amazing skills, and which is fascinating considering he smoked and drank and, and all this yeah. stuff. Gurdjieff yeah. was into booze also. Yeah. But, uh, but, you know, our we've now measured the brainwave signature of biolocation. Uh, John Charles Moyen, the famous SSP survivor from French Canada. Mm -hmm. And uh, clearly we understand what that is. The, his just before he bilocated with many witnesses came back from the beach with sand between his toes. Many I was going to ask you about that. That is the craziest thing. I many witnesses, yeah. but, and the brainwave signature was a massive coherence, golden ratio and octave cascade alpha gamma. He literally turned inside out. And just before he bilocated his left eye saw where he was and the right eye. Oh, I don't know which is which the right. eye saw where he was going. Hello. The reason is because <laughs> that conjugate point at the center is where you impedance couple the longitudinal array, and that's where you can use the array. But then you have to inhabit that larger array. And inhabiting that larger array is the physics of every spiritual story. So he was able to create a stargate of his own, essentially. And that's why they that's why they abducted him for the secret space program, too. <laughs> Massive brainwave coherence. Massive. How does the matter come back? That's such a trip that he comes back with sand in his toes. That's oh, yeah. And a bottle of water they took from there. And it was witnesses. Well, it's, the three films he made about very famous John Charles Moyen. He's yeah. not into the physics. That's what we do. But, you know, he's very talented. That's definitely. So. And, and, the Stargates in the Middle East and stuff. There's a lot of rumors. That's why we went to Iraq and stuff. Um, what yeah. what is the you know what is your it, thoughts on that and and where we're at with with that sort of technology? Wait, we we teach that the Ophain and Minokian letters were on the Stargate from the movie, and mm -hmm. uh, my boss at went away founded Gaia was the producer actually, but uh, that the the. the Letters called Ophanum and Oki in the alphabet letter. This is all at goldenmean.info slash Ophanum. They are the plasma physics of a hypercube, literally steering plasma domains into phase conjugate implosion. So the, the, the actual threshold point, that little water where you stick your finger through and you're on the other side, that is the phase conjugate point. And the more broad spectral that phase conjugate point, the farther you can go in that stargate. That's why the whole galaxy was fighting over the stargate and the trapezium at Orion, because all of the mass of the whole galaxy lined up. And boy, you can go far through that one. <laughs> so, you know, the argument was who gets transportation? Well, if you don't know how a longitudinal interferometry works, of course, you don't know what a stargate works. But that's and that's all behind the Philadelphia experience, experiment and Montauk stories. And we knew those yep. people. Another long story. But. So you, you mentioned galaxy, and I know we have a lot of people that question a lot of space stuff these days. And 
you know, one of the questions is like, how did humans, if we went to the moon, pass through the Van Allen belts when we've had NASA, you know, technicians say that's impossible due to the radiation. What's your well, thoughts on the, on the moon and sending a, a tin can? A the <laughs> yeah. moon was installed here by the Andromedans after the Galactic Federation basically blew up Mars and took the atmosphere and they then... Uh, that planet blew up in the water was that the reason lesser dryad was the great flood was the galactic federation was kind of boot out the nabu that's that's why it's so hilarious that hancock goes back in history and everywhere he goes he's bumping into anki although he don't know it because he thinks there's no et <laughs> poor guy but anyway the, what happened is the federation ended up installing the hollow metal moon in old andromedan starship basically which was desperately needed to stabilize our orbit and uh, at that time, they put nuclear generators there to uh, inhibit the um, Nabu, which at that time was Anunnaki and Gray, mostly Anunnaki, uh, from getting out. They wanted to trap them here. And that uh, amplified the density of the Van Allen belts, which at that time, the only way they could get through those Anunnaki was to nuke their way through. And they were using the Ark of the Covenant design and been serious for that function. It's a implosive capacitor originally designed to non-destructively contain radioactivity, sometimes called Plague of Azoth. And so that the story of the moon and the Van Allen belts is very interesting. Then later they learned, you know, Stargate technology and the Van Allen belts didn't matter so much. But originally when they populated this area, the Anunnaki, those Van Allen belts were a huge problem. <laughs> yeah. And I know there are ancient cultures that talk pre uh, life pre moon. Uh, there are some ancient texts oh, yeah. that talk the moon, about the moon wasn't stuff. there. No, no, no. That was an installation. It was a necessary installation. When Alex Collier says, "Oh, we should have the Andromedans tow it out of here," they didn't just study the astrophysics. We wouldn't have an atmosphere without that. <laughs> but it was also definitely massively infected with parasitic greys and dracos for most of history until about a year and a half a year ago. As Elena Danan correctly reports, the Galactic Federation booted the Nabu Greys and Anunnaki out of this solar system. But they'll be back and we need to get our show together. <laughs> and also a lot of uh, historical documentation that, uh, or, or just reporting that people's behavior became very aberrant after the appearance of uh, the moon. And, you know, of course, which gave birth to the term lunacy. So uh, is that the, well, the parasitic being, elements that you're talking about? Being hollow and metal is the reason a seed will not germinate if the moon is between the sun and the earth, specifically. And the reason mm. a seed will not germinate if the moon gets in the way is be hollow and metal. It interferes with the phase conjugate wave from the sun propagating longitudinal coherence. So you can put a piece of copper on your roof and a wire to a basement, the same piece of copper, and the basement is pitch black, and the plants will grow fine because it gets that longitudinal wave from the sun. But the moon's in between. <laughs> Forget it, man. <laughs> no, it's a hollow metal, and it was infested with parasites. There's a messy, messy history. But recently, since the Galactic yeah. Federation took back the moon from the graves, now we have, you know, they're they're building uh, medbed technology and lots of stuff there, and the Federation has, uh, you know, got it under control for now. Yeah. We have uh, friends that photograph the moon regularly, and it appears transparent, actually. There are other folks that consider it a plasma projection. So no, no. Uh, how they, do we drive all that? Some people said they were using some holography to obfuscate. Mm -hmm. And 
the big triangular Andromedan craft was hidden behind the moon for decades, actually, mm -hmm. but it's not transparent. It is hollow in metal. And uh, mm -hmm. it, it, it rang like a bell for days after they landed the craft. On it. <laughs> it's an it's an old artificial planetoid, basically a Van Andromedan design originally, I think. Yeah, there are, there so I have I heard that there is um, there have been different accounts of the the ringing of the moon. Yeah, yeah, rang for bells like and see, the only explanation is that it's artificial hollow and metal. The interesting thing is the history of the moon is the history of the interference of the Galactic Federation with parasites in our solar system. And that is instructive. I've done six lectures with Elena Danan on that subject. So my question once again, originally was, did NASA in the sixties send a tin can to the moon through the Van Allen belt, or was that different technology they were using? Was that all faked? What's your opinion on that, Dan? I, there might've been some fakery at some point, but in general, I think the moon missions were real, but I also think it's real that many of the astronauts who went to the moon discovered that they weren't alone. I think that's for sure. Uh, and gradually it's coming out, you know, that there were, the, the Nazis were the moon decades before, definitely. And then they went to Mars and Ceres. Then they sacrificed, you know, thousands of people to conquer Ceres and get a base on Mars because the Dracos required, you know, human slaves in order to buy their base there. And then the Nazis, the Dark Fleet, they they um, engaged in human trafficking, large scale and time travel to gather more technology. So booting them out of here was useful. That's uh, Tony, uh, Tony uh, Rodriguez, the series colony cavalier. It's very instructive. So you don't well, believe that the Nazis are still in control because there are theories that they never no, they left went, and they, that <laughs> they, they escaped Aldebaran. They're still very active. They went to Aldebaran along with some of the greys and uh, the Aldebaran had very advanced uh, Starfleet, uh, actually DNA based Starcraft. Absolutely. But they're out of the solar system for now. And have you seen any of these Starcraft? I know, um, uh, who is it? Uh, uh, Oh, why am I blanking his name? Uh, he talks about using really, you know, military grade uh, 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 goggles to look up into the atmosphere and he sees motherships and things. Have you seen any of this types of craft in your life, Dan, personally? Oh, a few when I was in Carolina and then I knew Alex Collier out in Boulder. But I, the physics is the same physics of why the right goggles enable seeing whether humans have aura. It was called They Live. Uh, it was it was actually longitudinal interferometry, the same study of the physics of clairvoyance, actually. That's how you find living plasma. And the advanced races all, not none of them travel in heavy metal. They all travel in living, living plasma. That's whether you know they're from the right side of the tracks. So how do we relate all of these uh, influences on our plane with what's going on in world events now and... Uh, you know, in our community, we truly believe that the um, just uh, universal heart-based coherence is a way out. And I really believe also in understanding a little bit about the science of it. Uh, that's what we talk a lot about on our show, because I think if uh, if we have a little information for the left brain to munch on, then we can, you know, really incorporate what the heart knows already even better. So how, uh, and I know this is the basis of a lot of your work, uh, what are we doing? How far along are we as far as achieving this universal heart resonance? And what can we do to accelerate it? I know it's a kind of an individual basis, one person at a time, but then 
on a larger scale, can we accelerate that? Or are we already at the point of critical mass doing it? Where are we right now? Yeah, I think we are near critical mass. Incidentally, my all the notes on the extraterrestrial history are at fractalfield.com slash fusion in the blood. But you asked the right okay. question. Fusion in the blood is about the physics of bliss. So literally, remember when the Grays and the Drake was the bad guys did abduction, 90% of those they abducted were the ones who could lose a dream, some indigenous blood. <laughs> the reason the indigenous could lose a dream better, you know, a thousand generations on the same magnetic line, their DNA implodes and becomes, you can steer the grid. So that's what they were studying is who has a soul. And the primary uh, trading value of the, all the intergalactic federations here, especially the 10,000 humanoids in this galactic sector, is basically DNA. And the magic DNA is the one that's got a soul, <laughs> which can steer the time timelines. So that is that is the study. The study is how uh, to light my fire, how to put it. How to put a flame in your blood. That is the study. Because if you can get a soul, then you win in this whole big story. Whereas if you don't have plasma radiate coherently, longitudinally, then your DNA ain't valuable. <laughs> it's, it's as simple as that, really. So studying the physics of bliss is the heart of the matter. That's the evolution of the gene pool. Because that allows you to, you to make gravity. You can steer timelines and all the fun stuff. It starts with a little bit of bliss. Then you'll notice when you walk over a magnetic line, your hair stands up. Up. the next day you can steer that magnetic line so what's behind the agenda for the genetic manipulation going on now in the name of medicine agriculture all the above uh what's the end goal there well you know the report is that the, the res it's like having a tick removed from your arm they took the negative D ets out of here but there's a lot of crap left you know <laughs> in, in the in the political bodies and but we humans ourselves need to learn the physics of what a soul is and what bliss is. And until we can set a value on that, then our politicians and doctors are going to be clueless. <laughs> They're going to, you know, if you look at people who were uh, had the medical stabbing, you can see their aura is dissociated. What does that tell you? Mm -hmm. They don't know what an aura is. Oops. I, I can't tell you the profound changes I've seen in some individuals that have had that. It's just, and, and a very common comment out there is I can't feel God anymore. And what they mean is they can't feel longitudinal interferometry. Exactly. Access to bliss. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. strong hygiene to restore uh, uh, bliss access can gradually restore that. I recommend vedicinals.com as well, natural Vedic solution. But basically it is to restore implosion in the blood and in the aura it starts at the level of the microtubule. It's literally implosion. That's what ensoulment is. It's access to that bliss. I'm actually we'll, almost out of time here. Yeah, today. I was just going to say uh, this. You've been so generous with your time today, Dan, and we really appreciate this. I think we've covered a lot, and I think we're, we'll be good for round two down the line, too, as our community starts to ingest this and goes to the links. And what we could do is maybe um, get a bunch of questions and dive deeper for around two, maybe, I don't know, six months down the line, if you're open to that. 
um, because I'd like to know as your work, obviously what's great about what you're doing right now is you're practically applying this in the world right now and, and actually seeing things change and develop. And I know you have these wonderful Zoom uh, meetings you do with different people enacting this technology and this information and applying this in groups via group lucid dreaming. I was watching your recent Zoom on that recently. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, people that are interested, I know you have a lot of websites, <laughs> a lot of places to find you. I'll make sure those are in the show notes below. But what would be like the go-to place to start, Dan? Well, that's fractalu.com. It has the other okay. links, and that's our regular programming and fractalfield.com. And and you're right that my job, you know, uh, I get to be here if I serve well. So I, I need to make it shareable. Absolutely. I am here to teach and share if I can. And absolutely, I'm very open. Next time, let's have more Q&A and make it more interactive. That's fine. I, I would like to share. I'm grateful that your audience is there and is interested. And don't let me push anything on you that doesn't make sense to you. But when you look at all the physics together, the wave shape of what makes anything implode and become centripetal, that answers every single question. Nature of consciousness, the nature of gravity, what makes a seed grow, and what you take with you when you die. It's all about getting centripetal. So you're, to, to end it, you're, one more time to encapsulate, your definition of a soul is? <laughs> the implosion in the aura that propagates coherently. It was called the ba from the car, the rainbow light body, the Kesjan body. It's actually a longitudinal array. And inhabiting that bigger array was called heaven, Plains of Sharon, Shams Elysee. It's actually the physics of heaven. That, and what better story for bliss? <laughs> Beautiful. And final question, what's the best link for your technologies for heart entrainment? Uh, heart entrainment is realheartcoherence.com. That's the story. And the right. ithrive.com, I-T-H-R-V-E.com for HRV. And the flameandmind.com for the heart brain link. Beautiful. Thank you. Hey Let's guys, well, I have my homework set up for me before we speak next. Uh, Dan, this <laughs> has been delightful. Thank you so much. Uh, it was great fun. It went way too quick. And uh, but thanks again. Thanks for sharing. Yes, blessings. I send mm -hmm. blessings to your audience. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. And, and thank you guys for joining us. Give us a thumbs up, like, share it with your friends and family. That really helps us out. Remember to get outside, get your feet in the ground, go uh, for exactly. a hike, go plant something. Mother Nature's our best teacher. Show her some love. And we'll see you next week. Same bat time, same bat channel, 10 a.m. Pacific time. Love you all. Have a beautiful day, beautiful weekend. Grounding is it. You're right. <laughs> yes, it is. We need more grounding. Bye.